just like everybody else train and be in shape for the job. There's high intensity interval workouts that are great for what we do. I like to say it's being in a fire is kind of like putting on your biggest winter jacket, turning your oven on to like 350 and then going and doing a workout or doing like a house demo inside your oven. That's kind of what it's like. Today, I'm here with Casey, who is a firefighter. I'm excited to talk with him today. I met him through his wife, Susanna, who is an ICU nurse, and she was recently on the show. And hers is turning out to be one of my favorite episodes I've done so far. So it's fun to make new connections. Casey, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you're a firefighter. Let's jump into this. How did you get into it? Was it your first job out of college? Walk us through that a little bit. It was not my first job. So the way I got introduced to it is my dad is actually a firefighter. So, okay. And that's, that's pretty common in the fire service a lot of guys are legacies either their grandfather their father did it or you know any family member a lot of people hear about it that way some people just discover it online or maybe they volunteered and they really liked it so they wanted to uh, become a paid firefighter so there's a number of ways you can get into it awesome and how long have you been doing it now how many years or months I've been a firefighter for five years okay great so we got a good little bit of experience to to walk through that's good what skills are required for this job? Do you need a specific educational background? Do you need certifications? Walk us through that part of it. Yeah, you do. Um, need a high school GED. No college is required, but that is going to kind of depend on what department you are seeking to be employed with. For example, my department will typically require, no college is required, but if you want to do promotions or be promoted, climb the ranks, then they start requiring some college hours. Interesting. It's generally a good idea, but it's a great job and you can get into it with just your GED. You do need a fire certification and a EMT certification as well. Okay. So most firefighters are EMTs or paramedics. So one thing for somebody starting out, one thing that you kind of need to decide is, do I want to be an EMT and assist, or do I want to ride in an ambulance? So there's Fire-based EMS, which is the ambulance responds out of the fire station with the fire truck, or there's like third-party EMS. So that would be like around the DFW Metroplex, that's like MedStar, AMR. So that's like a for-profit private company. They partner with the fire department. The firefighters will get on scene first. They're usually EMTs. It's a lower level of training. And then we'll assist the ambulance with taking you to the hospital. Gotcha. What route did you go? So I came in with no training. You can either get your certifications on your own. So there's a good website to go to. It's called tcfp.texas.gov. Okay. And that'll show you a list of all the fire jobs, at least in Texas. Obviously, if you're in a different state, you know. I would imagine different states have similar resources. Yeah. So uh, so I came in with no training. The department that I'm with paid for both my uh, fire certification and my EMT certification as well. Awesome. So they put me through both of those schools. It was really nice. The departments that do that tend to be bigger and more competitive. Mm -hmm. So if say, if you were to go out and get those certifications on your own, you could, your net is very wide. Like you can apply, you can work just about anywhere, at least in North central Texas, pretty much anybody will, you're, you're a very strong applicant. If you came in with like your fire certification and your paramedic already pretty good chance of getting hired. If you come in with no training like me, you got a really knock the application process out of the park in order to get hired. Any tips on that application process? That was going to be a minute, my next thing. 
Absolutely. So typically it'll be just like a standardized test, kind of like the tax test or the toss test or the star test that you took when you're going through school. Nothing crazy on there, just basic like arithmetic, reading comprehension, that type of stuff. Um, get like a little study guide for that. You're definitely going to want to make an A. I would say just for like a Fort Worth or a Dallas or a Arlington or something like that, maybe a thousand people will come up and take their test and they'll only hire like 50 people. Yeah, I know it's competitive. Pretty competitive. Yep. So you really got to, you for sure need to make an A and, you know, the higher the better. Yeah. I was actually going to bring that up a little bit later, but let's talk about it now. I've had like three or four friends right around the time that we were graduating high school, even into college, they were seriously considering becoming firefighters. And they went through, you know, those initial steps, they went through the application process, and they tried, and none of them actually ended up making it. So what do you think separates the people that do make it from the people that don't? How do you stick with it? What do you need to work on in order to help your chances? Most of the people that I know who are firemen now have taken multiple, multiple tests. It's very, very rare for you to just come in and on the first try. first department you test with get hired. Like that's, that's almost unheard of. So definitely, definitely um, don't be discouraged. The, just like anything else, the more practice you get, the better you're going to be at it. So I encourage you, if you're thinking at all about becoming a fireman, try to take as many tests as you can. Interesting. That's actually only step one of the process. You know, once you've taken the test and they determine a ranking system based on that. So like, obviously the best score is going to be number one and so on and so forth. Then you'll move on to the next part of the application process, which is the physical aptitude test. And that's going to vary from department to department, but it's usually very skill related to the job of being a fireman. So you'll put on bunker gear, which is the PPE that we wear, put on the mask. Ours was a we had to go follow a hose line, hundred foot hose line through like a little rescue maze with a blacked out mask on. So it was literally a firefighter mask Wow! with duct tape on the inside and you couldn't see anything. You had basically just had to navigate by feel. You had to climb one of our aerial ladders, which are 105 feet. You had to climb all the way to the top and back down. And then you had to uh, do what's called a Kaiser sled. So it's like a You've probably seen them before, but it's like a big old block. And then there's two diamond plates on either side. You put one foot on each of those and you basically hammer the block in between your legs and you've got to push it maybe three or four feet. That's awesome. Yeah. Equipment carries. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun, man. Yeah. Uh, Very physical, of course. Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's a physical job. So uh, that's kind of what they're testing just to make sure that you're getting out there, staying in shape and that, you know, when the citizens call, you can respond. Yeah. So let's say you've been persistent. You try to go through the application process. You've taken a few tests. You're still not getting the interest from the departments that you're wanting, or there's issues with the physical test. Something is not going right where you're not able to make it. At that point, do you think going and trying to become an EMT and working your way up from there might be a good route to go? What w- what's your thoughts on that? I would say that's going to come down to the individual. Kind of like I said earlier, if you've, if you've got no training like I had, your pool that you can select from is going to be very limited. You're going to have to go to the big departments like Dallas, Fort Worth, Arlington, San Antonio, Austin, go and take those guys' tests. It's going to be, I mean, it's going to be pretty intimidating. I sat in an auditorium with like a thousand other people and they're all, you know, we're all in there wearing the same, you know, shirts and stuff. We're all jeans, boots, you know, whatever. And it's, it's kind of intimidating to look around and be like, man, it's really a lot of people, but it, it gives you an appreciation for just how competitive it is. Any tips on how to prepare for those tests? Yeah, just uh, I would say buy a study guide. I was sent like a little mailer. I, I forget the name of the company, but I ordered the study guide through that mailer. And I just, man, for like 40 or 50 hours before my test, I just was in that thing every day. 
doing the same. I mean, it was just the same, the same questions, but I was still running through them and running through them, do some reading comprehension, just find, I'm sure you could get something like at the local library or like a bookstore, like a little prep, maybe off of Amazon. Yeah. You know, find yourself some, some way to prepare yourself. And then from there, let's say you're running your head up against the brick wall over and over again, the big departments, you're just really not separating yourself enough with the tests, what have you, then it may be time to think about, okay, maybe, maybe I need to pay for out of pocket for my own EMT course. It's really not that much. Most community colleges will offer those. Yep. You could probably go all the way through an EMT course for maybe like five or 600 bucks, then get your fire certification. There's private companies out there that will certify you with your fire cert as well. And then from there, you can really expand to kind of like the secondary cities. Those cities are going to probably require you to do fire-based EMS. Mm -hmm. So they're going to really, really like you if you come in with a paramedic and a fire certification. That's good. Well, I feel like that really kind of covers the, what's the best way to start looking into how to get the job? Let's pivot a little bit into the job itself. Casey, walk me through a typical Tuesday. Obviously, you're a first responder. Every day is going to be different. Some days are going to be busy, some are not. But what are you doing all day? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I like most about the fire services. No day is ever the same. So I we typically report to our station at 7 a.m. We work what's called a 24-48 schedule. So we're working for 24 hours, and then we have two days off. Got so it. one thing that we like to say is every day is either Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of so nice. That's, that's kind of cool. Yeah. There's a couple variations to that. There's a Kelly schedule, which we don't, we don't work. And then there's also a 4896, which is kind of where departments are transitioning. So they'll work for 48 hours at a time and they're off for four days. Gotcha. So your schedule is you work at 24 and then you're off for 48 hours. What are you doing during the 24 hours? So we get to the station at 7 a.m. From there, at least the first hour of our day is hanging out with the guys. We're checking out our equipment, making sure everything is ready to rock and roll for the shift. So I happen to be on A shift. So we'll talk to C shift, kind of see what they did, get a feel for how the apparatus is set up. You know, we'll make sure that we've got all of our EMS kits, all of our hoses are ready to rock and roll. We'll check out the pump. We'll basically make sure all of our equipment's functional and ready to go. From there, we usually finish that up about 8 or 8.30 in the morning. We'll uh, try to knock out some training. At least in, I'm in Texas right now, so it's really hot. Yeah. So we try to knock out our training and stuff in the morning while it's <laughs> still reasonable. Before it's 105 degrees. Yeah, man. And uh, so we'll, we'll try to, we'll basically just pick a topic and, and do that. From there, we'll hit the gym, get a workout in. Physical fitness is a huge part of our job. So we actually are encouraged to work out at work. So we go and do that. We'll hit the treadmill. We'll hit the weights. We'll go to the store and then we'll buy all of our food for the day. Everybody pitches in like five bucks, 10 bucks. And that'll be enough usually to eat pretty well. We'll cook all of our meals together and we'll eat all of our meals as well. Kind of like a big family. That's awesome. So you're doing maintenance checks, you're doing safety checks, you're doing training. Obviously you're there to respond when there's an emergency. Sometimes you might go a 24 hour period, I would imagine where there's not much going on. And then there's some where you're constantly responding. What, what does that process look like? Oh man. So yeah, I've, I've had it both ways. I've had shifts it's only happened once in five years where we hit a shift without any calls. And that's for my department, that's pretty rare. We're pretty busy. Obviously that varies a lot depending on what department you're a part of. Of course. Um, we've also had it the other way around where i literally did not sleep for 24 hours. Yeah. Something notable is like the snowpocalypse from a couple of years ago, whenever everybody's pipes froze, 
part of our job is property conservation. So we literally went around and like helped people shut off their water. And we did that for 24 hours. Oh my gosh. We were, yeah, we spent maybe 30 minutes at the station and the rest of it was either outside in the 30 degree cold or in the engine going to the next call. We like barely had time to eat. It was crazy. So for your department, what would you say would be an average amount of responses that you have to go to in a day? That's going to vary department to department and even station to station, even within the department. I happen to be at one of the busier stations. So our station runs about just over 5,000 calls a year between two apparatus. We like to shoot for about 3,000 calls per apparatus. When you start exceeding that, you're getting a little bit too busy and guys start getting burnt out easier. So that would, that shakes out to about, gosh, maybe 10 to 12 per shift. Okay. So it's pretty busy. And that's EMS calls, wrecks, fires, automatic alarms, all of it. Interesting. Yep. So your shift schedule, you're working 24 hours on 48 off. Did you adjust to that pretty quickly? Is that kind of a hard thing to maintain your life outside of work because you're catching up on sleep or whatever else? Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely takes a toll, especially when you've had a busy night. I would say it's it's a little bit more challenging than just being on the night shift. So like if I was a night shift worker, I'd sleep during the day. I know I'm going to be up from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. With us, it's like, hey, man, we might sleep all night or we might not sleep at all. Or we might go to sleep, wake up, go to sleep, wake up. And honestly, that is way more difficult than yeah. just you know being like a night shift person. So that's definitely a challenge of the job. We're just, we're paid to be available. So if somebody calls at 3am, like, you know, we're going. Yeah. Do you ever see guys need to leave or they get burnout because of the sleep schedule? Or is it just kind of like, Hey, once, once you get used to it, you kind of get used to it. Yeah. I would say that's, that's pretty much how it goes. Um, most guys are, are used to it. I personally try to take a little nap whenever I get off work, my dad did the same thing. He's been a fireman for 26 years now. He'll come home after a busy night and he'll get maybe an hour or two of rest. Some guys don't, some guys just go home and they'll just go right into family stuff or their part-time job or whatever. And that's, you know, more power to them, but sleep deprivation is uh, definitely a hazard for sure. Definitely. So Casey, what percentage of your time do you spend on other tasks that we haven't talked about? Like what are the things that people may not think about that a firefighter does in a day, in a week, in a month? What are the stuff that people wouldn't realize you do? Sure. So uh, I didn't realize we did as much property conservation as we do. So we'll go and like help shut off people's water if they have a water leak and say they live in an apartment and the apartment uh, maintenance can't respond at that time. We'll go and help them shut off their water. The fire department is kind of moving into just the general hazard mitigation business. Interesting. So we also do what's called technical rescue. So we'll do rope rescues for people who get like stuck on a water tower or someplace really high. Um, Six Flags over Texas, for example, like that might be a place that somebody would get stuck on a roller coaster. That would be our job. We do hazmat incidents. So like if there's a truck driving down I-20 or whatever, and it's carrying, you know, name your caustic substance and it flips over, we have to go and, and mitigate that. We do a lot of different stuff, man. We do swift water. So like flooding, any kind of like Hurricane Katrina type stuff where there's just a huge amount of flooding. We have little Zodiac boats that we can put in and guys have been trained to search for that as well as like moving water. So like if somebody falls in a river or something, that's extremely, extremely dangerous moving water. What's the training process like for that? Cause you're responding to things that may not happen all that often. How do you train for those kind of one-offs or really dangerous situations? Absolutely. Well, that's, you know, that, that is definitely like 
the name of the game in this, we're constantly, constantly training for the big one is what we call it. You know, mm. like the, the big fire or the time where we're going to have to, you know, do 20 things and we've only got enough time to do about two. So we've got to move fast with all the specialties. Usually that's designated to a station. So okay. station X, Y, and Z will be like your hazmat stations. And those guys have the hazmat training. So if we run up on say an 18 wheeler that's tipped over, we're going to be like, oh crap, we need to call the hazmat guys and they'll come out. Same with Interesting. swift water, technical. Yep. Yeah. And how much time do you guys, you said that you train every day. How much time do you think you spend as a percentage on training? I would say it's, it's regular for us to spend like anywhere from two to four hours. Just kind of depends on what we're doing. There'll be times when say the weather's nice and we're, we're actually responsible for going down and training uh, the new recruits. So whenever you pass your test and pass your interview, we'll go down and actually help train new recruits on how to be a fireman. So that can take eight hours a day, or sometimes, you know, it's, it's Sunday. It's just a, we have kind of a chill day. It's the weekend, whatever. We'll, we'll maybe knock out some stuff on the computer or just kind of talk about stuff around the table. That's good, man. I wish that our system was set up differently so that that amount of training time was able to be dedicated to police officers as well. I, I'm sure that they do a good amount of training, but more is always better in, in these Absolutely. kinds of situations. And uh, I just hearing you say that about firefighters and what the typical routine is, I think it's part of the reason why firefighters are so much more, I don't know, well-regarded in our society today than police officers are. And I think it's because you guys maybe are a little bit more prepared for what you're facing. Yeah, man, police have such a tough job, man. They do. They're, they're forced to make super duper high stakes decisions at the snap of a finger. They are. And, you know, firefighters like, Basically, the only thing that really changes with fire is the size of the container. So it doesn't matter if it's like a one-story house or a skyscraper. Fire is pretty much going to do the same thing. It's going to try to fill the container, go up, out, and down. Whereas human beings, who knows what anybody's going to do at any given time? Like that's, that's a good point. The human aspect is one of the most dangerous parts of our job. For example, when we're on a motor vehicle accident on the highway, like who knows if the person's drunk at 3 a.m. Right. We've had multiple fire engines get hit like the person just, they'll just drive right into us. Um, my dad actually worked with an individual and he got run over by a car. Oh my God. It was, yeah, on, on the interstate and it was a life-changing event for him and his family, you know? So the human aspect is one of the most dangerous aspects that we deal with. Yeah. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about the danger of the position. Let's talk about it. As a first responder, you're putting yourself in harm's way. How do you prepare for that? Besides just the training that you do daily, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, how do you handle that? Man, that's, that's, that's the real question. It definitely takes a, a different type of person. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of what the job is. You're putting yourself out there. Our department trains us really, really well on what to look for fire behavior wise. So there's certain indicators that you're supposed to be familiar with. And obviously if you're a new guy, you haven't seen that. So YouTube and the internet has been a huge, huge asset for society at large, but especially for firemen, hmm. because, you know, back say like in 1980, when you were a fireman, the only way to get experience of what's going to happen at a fire is to go to a fire. Whereas now I can pull up YouTube and scroll and scroll and scroll through various fires and look at how the fire behaves in this situation. Look at how the fire behaves in this situation. And that's definitely uh, something we spend a lot of time with our rookies. And you can spend a lot of time just personally looking at fire videos as well. Be like, Hey man, I'd the smoke is this color. I know about how long I have to get in this room and search before it flashes over is what it's called. And the entire room catches on fire. 
That's fascinating. Yeah. So you're able to kind of like an artificial intelligence where they give it a lot of training data. You're able to see a lot more situations than you've personally been in because of YouTube and just the access to other fires that have happened that you haven't personally been in. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge resource for us. And the, you know, like with anything else, the more time you spend getting those mental reps in, the better able you're going to be to recognize whenever you get to the scene, oh, this is happening. I have about this long to do X, Y, and Z, you know, I better get in there and get to it. Gotcha. Casey, what do you feel like is the most challenging part of the job to you? Man, um, definitely. I, I would say the sleep aspect is, is something that something to watch out for. It's hard to go from being dead asleep. The alarm goes off yeah. and then we have a minute of turnout time, which is where we go out to the rig and get our stuff on. Our in route time is supposed to be about four minutes, like just on average. And then we're at somebody's house dressed and ready to go in five minutes from being dead asleep. Yeah, that's crazy. So that's, it's just, you know, it, it's got to be muscle memory. You're not, you're not really fully awake until your boot hits the pavement and you see, you know, the house burning or whatever. Wow. It's, it can be tough to go from neutral to fifth gear that quickly. I bet. Yeah. Does that affect your sleep schedule? Obviously when you're off the clock, like do you, when you wake up, do you bolt awake or is it different? Has your body learned the difference between at home and at work? For me personally, it has. Um, I sleep a lot, a lot harder at home than That's I do good. at work. It's kind of like when you're at work, it's kind of like constantly Maybe if you have like an alarm set for something important the next day and you constantly wake up. You're sleeping really light. Yes, 100%. Yeah, everything wakes you up. But it's it's individual to individual. I know guys who sleep like rocks at the station and guys who don't sleep well at all at home either. So it kind of just depends. Casey, what do you think are some stereotypes about the job that are not true? Well, firefighting has typically been a male-dominated profession. And I think that's just due to the physical nature of the job. It's not, you know, we're not being discriminatory, but like if a citizen says, Hey, I'm trapped in here, man, you have to be able to get them out. Yeah. You know, there's just no way around it. We don't care what color you are, what ethnicity you are, or what sex you are. Like the job is the job. Yeah. And you, may you have, have to be to... able to lift this much. You have to be able to, you know, perform yep. these physical activities because yep. lives are on the line. Exactly. Yep. I want to know that the person that's standing beside me can get the citizen out that we're trying to rescue or even me out. If something happens, you know, there's, there's a large amount of trust that goes into that. Yeah. I was going to actually bring that up a little bit. It's interesting that you brought it up. I actually looked up the stat cause I was curious. I'm like, I've never known a female firefighter. I know that they exist. I looked it up. It was something like nationwide. It's maybe like a, around 11% are female. Yep. Any, any thoughts on that advice to a woman who obviously, you know, is just as brave and heroic as, as any male firefighter is any advice Absolutely. to her who wants to do it. Yep. Just like everybody else train and be in shape for the job. There's high intensity interval workouts that are great for what we do. I like to say it's being in a fire is kind of like putting on your biggest winter jacket, turning your oven on to like 350, and then going and doing a workout or doing like a house demo it's inside your oven. That's kind of what it's like. And it's, you know, the, the job is the job and the situation is a situation and you just got to be prepared for what may or may not be asked of you. Yeah. You got to be up to the task regardless yep. of what's going on. Yeah, exactly. So Casey, we, I asked you what stereotypes are not true about your line of work. Any stereotypes that are kind of true? Um, so I'll be real honest with you. I, I went to college and I used to think that, you know, smart people went to college and quote unquote, dumb people did not go to college, but man, there's, a lot of really, really smart, charismatic, sharp individuals who just have a GED. Yeah. It's, 
I would say there's a correlation, but there are definitely a lot of outliers too. Definitely. Like there's, there's a lot of really smart guys out there and, and girls as well. It's not just a dumb jocks that get to be firemen. You actually have to be sharp. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I like it. Casey, what do you wish that you knew about the job or the industry itself when you were first starting out? Man, um, something that, that really, like, I, like I've said before, I'm a legacy firefighter. And so I kind of had a pretty good idea of what I was getting into beforehand. But something that really surprised me being on the job was just people's houses can be pretty dirty. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like we, we see a, a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, I happen to come from a pretty, a pretty blessed background, you know, like I had a good nuclear family and all that. And some, some people just were not, did not have the same, not blessed with the same. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so there's, you know, we'll, we'll go in anything from like just the nicest of the nice homes to the, just like a shack basically. And these people are just kind of trying to get by, you know, and it's, it's really really amazing. I'd imagine too, with, you know, dealing with public health stuff, if there's a gas leak or there's a smell that's coming up, you know, from someplace, you're probably going into some dicey situations, hoarder houses, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Those are, those can be the most challenging to fight fire in because there's just, a you know, you can't hardly get to the actual fire itself or even wow. effectively search the house because there's just so much stuff in the way. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that they're hoarders because they just have an addiction that does definitely happen. But a lot of times, you know, they're, they just get to be elderly and they can't quite clean up after themselves like they have before. And, you know, there'll be like all kinds of conditions like feces on the floor and who knows what else fleas, bed bugs. We go into all that stuff. So that's the not so glamorous part of the job, but it's still very, very uh, important and necessary. How often are you guys going into homes that the issue is related to the person being elderly? Just, I'm just curious, like, like that, where they, they're a hoarder or they can't take care of themselves. And so issues are arising because they're not able to take care of their property anymore. Sure. Um, definitely for EMS calls. Um, like I said, this is going to vary like district to district. Definitely. So if you live in a more affluent district, people tend to call less. It tends yeah. to parallel socioeconomic status. Mm. So, um, uh, your lower income areas tend to be busier, just the name of the game. So I guess in saying that, um, is it, is it common or not that common? I would say it's pretty common. Um, people with a lot of health issues tend to call a lot. Yeah. Um, so they're, you know, they're not taking care of themselves in their health aspect. And that tends to bleed over into everything else. You know, they don't get around well, their house is a mess. Maybe they're up, they're elderly and they just can't, they physically can't take care of the place anymore. That happens from time to time, but man, it's probably, I would say maybe 10 to 20% of our calls are, are for older people. And that's, that's pretty much what is, what is going on with them. Interesting. Casey, how, how do you deal with the stress of this job? Man, it's really important. I think to have a hobby, something physical, like most, most firemen are tend to be mechanically inclined and physically apt, you know, that's just kind of the nature of the job. So um, I like to run. I like to work out. Me and my wife pretty much play like any sport, you know, we'll go and <laughs> we're not very good at it, but we go and do it. It's fun to do. Yeah. So it's, it's just kind of fun to be at the station and be part of a team. Our fellow firemen are almost like a family. Like I know the names of everybody in my crews, wives, all their kids' names, like what they're into, what their hobbies are, what they've got going on this weekend. Like we all just sit around for 24 hours and, you know, get to know each other. And I think it's really important to lean on your fire family and your 
nuclear family during like something like a hard call or anything like that. Yeah, that was actually leading into my very next question. I was going to ask, because it's different than normal jobs, you really do kind of become a family with these other men and women. How do you guys deal with conflict? Because that's kind of something that it's it's not just like, oh, we need to fire this guy because he's you know not pulling his weight. Like, how do you guys deal with the interpersonal relationships because it's so close? That's a that's a great question. The hiring process for sure, we tend to in the interview, we try to really dig deep and you know, figure out what this guy's about. Even all the way through rookie school or training school, you're you're an at-will employee. So that basically means, you know, always be on your best behavior and try your hardest. Um, I think the culture in the fire service in general is to not be a slacker, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, if you showed up and didn't pitch in when everybody else is working, that would really not go over well in a hurry. So I would say the flip side of that is somebody that would do well is somebody who tends to be agreeable, but also have their own convictions, you know? Yes. It's important to know where you stand for sure. The more socially in tune you are with how your actions affect other people, the better off you're you're going to be. That's uh, something that's really, my eyes have been open to that as well in the fire service. Cause it's not like, oh, five o'clock, I, I don't have to see this guy again until tomorrow. You know, like now we're with each other for 24 hours. When there are issues, do, does it go to the chief? Like how, how is that resolved? Is it usually man-to-man talk? How do you deal with it? Yeah. So that's, that's the way it needs to go down. Like it's got to be man-to-man. You might take somebody aside and be like, look, man, this is what's going on. We need to figure out a good solution to this. Yeah. And then if that doesn't work, you'd probably try it a couple more times. Look, Hey, this is still, this is still getting to me. And from there, you might need to get a direct supervisor involved. The way rank structure works in the fire service, it's like, you got firefighters, then the next rank up is typically driver. Depending on your department, you'll either have lieutenants or captains. So we have firefighters, drivers, lieutenants, captains, and then your chief ranks. Yeah. Um, so obviously you want to keep, we try to keep as much off of our boss's plate as possible. So he's already dealing with charting everything and making tactically sound decisions. So if two firefighters aren't getting along, obviously we want to try to handle that in-house with as little blowback from everybody else as possible. So we would, just, we would just go to the guy and try to get down on, on their level and use empathy and try to move past it. Yeah. You got to be able to have those difficult conversations, but still be tactful and, and caring because you do have to still see them <laughs> for the next however yeah. many hours. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, sit here and say that I'm perfect, but I'm not, you know, I, I do things that annoy people and other people do things that annoy me. So yeah. you just have to kind of have to be able to be teachable and, and for somebody to be able to come in with constructive criticism and you got to be able to receive it without yes. blowing up in their face. <laughs> yeah. Being, being coachable and just sometimes you got to put your ego in check. That's a, that's a big thing too. So we've talked a lot about some of the, the downsides of stuff. What's the part of the workday that is your favorite? What do you look forward to the most? Man, firemen in general, just love going to fires. We don't, we <laughs> don't sit around and yeah, we don't sit around and like hope that people's houses burn, but we just want to be the closest if they do, you know, we love going to fires. We love good EMS calls where we can make a difference, where we're the, the intervention between this person and dying. Like that's exciting. And that's what we signed up to do. So that's pretty cool. I used to volunteer at a County department and we had a grass fire and it was an extremely dry and hot, windy day, kind of like what we're having this summer. Yeah. Um, the wind was probably blowing 30 miles an hour. And as you know, that really, really feeds the fire. So this had just started from like somebody welding. And by the time we got on scene, our response time is nine minutes. That's pretty good for a volunteer department out in the county. 
Yeah. So it took us nine minutes to get the truck and drive to where the fire was. It had already burned five acres and was moving at probably 25 to 30 miles an hour through a field. Wow. We literally just went through the gate and the fire was burning up the side of this mobile home. It hadn't caught the mobile home on fire yet, but you could see like the siding starting to melt. Yep. And so we literally got there just in the nick of time and we doused that whole mobile home down and literally saved somebody's house. And I was like a 16 year old kid at the time. So it's got to feel good. Absolutely, man. That was just a super, super cool experience. And then from there we went and, you know, put the rest of the grass fire out, but that's the stuff that we live for right there, you know, or somebody's, somebody's trapped in a building and they can't get themselves out. And we're the only reason that they lived basically. Yeah. Saving lives and saving property. Like that's what you're doing. That's Mm -hmm. a really cool job. I definitely understand the appeal. You get to be the good guy, you know? Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Yeah. Casey, what's the turnover like? I would imagine once people are set in a department, they probably stick around for a while. Do you ever see burnout? Do you see people move up and leave? Like what, what happens? Absolutely. I would say just kind of as mirroring society at large, you know, there's the great resignation happening right now. It used to be like everybody worked their entire career in the fire service, you know, whether that was 30 years, it's regular to see guys who are 55 and 60 years old, Hey, I've got 35 years on the job. I've got 25 years on the job. I've got 20 years on the job. And they've literally been a fireman for that long. It was, it's pretty common to see that. I would say it's becoming less common right now. And guys are starting to people in general, I think are just starting to kind of job hop a little more. There's, we definitely still have a lot of legacy guys, but there's definitely our share of guys who work, you know, 25, 30 years. Yeah. Tell, tell me a little bit about that career progression. What's a typical starting role? I know you mentioned the ranks of a typical department and it can be different, but where do most people start? Where do most people end? How do you rise through the ranks? Sure. So there's a, everybody starts as a probationary firefighter. So just out of rookie school, you don't know anything. You're just kind of hoping that the guys will take you under their wing and show you the ropes. And then most departments, probation will either be like a year, 18 months, something like that. You're constantly on your best behavior, trying to just be a sponge and soak up as much as you can. The neat thing about the fire service is that promotions are basically based on a test, just like what you took when you got hired. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you have to, you know, they'll put out a list of source material. You go through that source material. And then you take a test over that to promote. So like you'll go from firefighter to driver and it's a hundred percent based on the work that you did studying. It's not based on, you know, how well you kiss the boss's butt or. Yeah. So it's not as much about politics and uh, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. In fact, the fire service has done a great job of removing that. So it's not just the most popular, well-liked people that, that tend to promote. It's whoever does the most work and works the hardest. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine that for some personalities, that's a downside, but for a lot of people, it feels a lot more fair and is a good thing. Yeah. That's definitely the best word for it is, is fairness. So you'll start off with like firefighter, driver, lieutenant, captain, chief, and then there's several different chief ranks. That's very widely depending on department, but that is definitely another really good aspect of this job. Let's talk a little bit about the compensation ranges for the positions. Obviously, it's going to be different state to state, department to department. What are you seeing as far as what's realistic to expect early in your career, mid-career, late career compensation wise? 
definitely a lot of variation state to state entry level firefighters, like someplace like California or New York, where the cost of living is super high, start off at like 90,000 or even a hundred thousand around North Texas. It's getting higher, but I would say entry level, you're going to be making around 60,000 middle of your career. It depends on if you promote or not. Obviously there's a raise associated with promoting. So maybe middle of your career, you could, you could be hoping to make around 90,000, 80,000, and then end of your career, definitely making a hundred thousand for sure. Low six figures is, is reasonable, at least in Texas. Yep. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit about the benefits too. A lot of people seem to think that firefighting is a you know good career as far as the benefits go. I know you retire with a pension. Yes. Can you just talk to that a little bit? Give us a little bit more insight. Yeah. So there is a pension. Texas has one that most departments pay into. It's called TMRS, Texas Municipal Retirement System. You pay into that, it gets deducted from your paycheck. The city will match that. So for us, we pay in 7% and the city matches 14. So it's 21% total goes into this lump sum. To be eligible for your pension, you have to work 20 years. So if you don't do 20 years, the money just sits in an account. You can't get to it until you're uh, 65. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that they offer is is a 401k match as well. That's just something that my department does. Not all departments do that. Yeah. Um, healthcare is really nice vision benefits, dental. Yeah, I was going to ask, do they take that part out of your paycheck? Is it already kind of predetermined? Yeah, that's, that's deducted as well. Most people go through our city for their benefits, but some people don't. Um, so yeah, that's, that's deducted as well. Get access to healthcare. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other benefits that we have. Long story short, working for the, for any municipality is usually a really good thing benefits wise. Yeah. Healthcare is pretty good. Dental is really nice. Um, the retirement is really good too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what yeah. I found in general is in general, and this is not always true, is that working for a public entity, you know, or a municipality pay is going to be a little bit lower than what you could get on the private market, but benefits typically a little bit better. So it's kind of a bit of a trade-off there. Yeah. That's a, that's a great way of summarizing it. That's good. I got two more questions for you, Casey. Cool. One is, do you have any funny or interesting on-the-job stories? I'd imagine you got to have at least one or two. Man, yeah. <laughs> we, uh, <laughs> we mess around with each other quite a bit. You know, we're, it's kind of like going to work with your, with your friends. So hazing is a real thing <laughs> or just playing pranks? <laughs> Depends on your definition of hazing. Yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Um, no, um, man, there's a variety of just hilarious stories. I could, I could fill a whole podcast with them, but... One of the things, some things guys will, sometimes guys will, uh, we have these like really big metal pots cause we're cooking for like seven or eight guys at a time. Yeah. So sometimes guys will be sitting in their office, you know, typing on the computer or whatever, doing a report and a guy will just walk by. We, we have these industrial floors and they're just like a hard surface. <laughs> yeah. I see where this is so going. We'll just walk by with one of these pots and just drop it on the ground with a lid on it. And it's just earth shattering. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Another thing we like to do is. We have uh, like a commercial ceiling. So it's got like the gray square tiles. Yep. Guys will get up there with a little ladder when another rig is on a call and they're at the station and they'll hang an IV bag in their locker and run it up through the ceiling tile over where the guy's sleeping that night. They'll just barely poke the IV catheter through the ceiling <laughs> so that you can't really see it. So they're just dropping little flecks uh-huh. of water on them. <laughs> yeah, we had, we had a guy, he goes, he did that when another guy was out on a call. And when we went to bed that night, he would just give the little bag a squeeze and a couple little drops would come out and just plunk <laughs> down on his head, you know? 
It's funny. It's ridiculous. I love it. So yeah, pranks like that. Sounds like yep. there's some good camaraderie there. Absolutely. We have a lot of fun. Awesome. All right, Casey, final question. We made it. What's the best practical advice you would give to someone who wants to do what you do? Any resources specifically or next steps? Like they finished listening to this podcast. They want to be a firefighter. What would you tell them? Man, the number one best thing that you could do would be to find a department and do a ride out with them. That's the best thing. Interesting. Because from there, you're going to network, you're going to make connections, and you'll be able to ask any questions that you might have just about day-to-day life. You'll be able to ride in the truck with guys to calls. You'll be able to see a lot of what day-to-day life is with the department that you're interested in pursuing. Mm-hmm. And the guys will have some really good tips for you as, as far as what you have to do to get hired with their department specifically. I love it. Casey, yeah, that's exactly what this podcast is all about. I'm learning so much how important it is to talk to people in the industry that you want to go to and pick their brain, learn everything you can. And that's really what I'm trying to model with this whole podcast is just, here's how you do it. Here's the types of questions you ask and then anything else that pops up. But yeah, if you're interested, find somebody who's doing it, go talk to them, ask them the same questions that I asked Casey today. That's the way to do it. Yep. And then, yeah, you get the benefit of also networking and maybe an opening comes up, maybe they liked you and maybe you get shortlisted. 100%. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, uh, if it comes down to, especially with your smaller departments, if it comes down to you and one guy and you did a ride out, they might recognize your name and be like, Hey, this guy, you know, he came and did a ride out. He was super enthusiastic. This girl was super enthusiastic. She was gung ho. She pitched in and helped out. That might be the, the little pebble on the scale that tips the balance in your favor. You never know. It's perfect. Casey, thanks so much, man. I'm looking forward to releasing this episode. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the What's That Job Like podcast. Two quick things. One, please subscribe and review the show. It takes less than a minute and it does a ton to help. Two, I would love your feedback. Is there a certain career you want to hear from, a question you'd like me to ask my guests, or anything else? Let me know. My email is jameson at whatsthatjoblike.com. Again, that's J-A-M-E-S-O-N at whatsthatjoblike.com. That is also where you can email me if you are interested in being a guest on my show. I am rapidly trying to get hundreds of interviews because I think that's how this whole project will come together and help as many people as possible. So again, please subscribe and I'll catch you next time.